Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com, at Braden Gall. We also got a question on Blue Sky for the pod this week. You can get to me, of course, at Braden Gall on that application if you'd like as well. I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. I'm not on Blue Sky, but I did get an invite to Blue Sky over the weekend, so maybe Ooh. I'll be on there. If we're getting questions for the podcast on there, maybe I need to join. I, I will say, if you do not like Elon Sewer and what it has become, Twitter does feel, I mean, uh, excuse me, Blue, Blue Sky does feel like 2012 Twitter. Like, it, it, it's like, it feels like a kind of a, a like a fun, you know, cordial collection of people that just want to talk about weird stuff. <laughs> and, but like in a respectful way, you know, um, it's not all about the likes. So you, uh, you lost me at respectful. <laughs> right, right. You cover the predators. What are we talking about here? No, yeah, I got exactly. a, I got a, I got a question <laughs> for the pod on Blue Sky. So I thought, you know what? If you're going to ask me a question on Blue Sky, we got to bring it on before we get into all. So a Philip Forsberg conversation is Philip Forsberg blossoming into the star that he always could have been. Do, can he sustain the current pace that he is on? Uh, does that make him a bona fide number one top flight player in the NHL? Uh, and a conversation about you know his his potential. Uh, it, through the rest of this contract and in the system that Andrew Burnett has deployed him with Ryan O'Reilly and Gus Nyquist on the top line. The Predators are 11-3 and in their last 14 games. Uh, they went 3-1 and since we last talked. Uh, the loss to Toronto in the middle there, really tough game, did not play well. We'll get to all four of those games and how they played. The penalty kill, UC Soros, outstanding. Got some more trade rumors stuff. I guess, to get to when it comes to Tyson Berry. Uh, we've got more drama in the Central Division, some prospect updates from across uh, the the National Predators prospect rank. So a lot of stuff to get to today on the show. But I, I want to say, first of all, of course, we're brought to you by Jaspers. Make sure you go check them out. But I, I want to say, first and foremost, Michael, uh, how, how is how are you and the family and the community? Uh, you guys are, of course, up there in North Nashville and uh, there's a lot of different ways to get involved if you want to be a part of the cleanup effort for Clarksville, for Hendersonville, for Madison. I'm about five miles shy of Madison, but I live right in the path of the 2020 tornado. Uh, and so obviously, hope you and your community are doing well. Uh, there are lots of ways to get involved if you want. I can I can help you out with that. The United Way of Middle Tennessee is probably a good starting point. Uh, but, number, but number two, don't drive up there and drive around and take videos of people, people's neighborhoods uh, that they're cleaning up. So hope everybody's doing okay, Mike. Yeah, I would I would just add that be respectful if you are out. It's natural to be curious what's going on. But if you see that there's a long line of people, there's a cleanup crew, construction workers, whatever, maybe just turn around and go back home because there are still we're fortunate enough. We got power back uh, a day or two ago, um, but we were without it for a solid 48 hours and it kind of sucked. It was nice to be unplugged from the world and from social media, but it was it kind of sucked not you know knowing what's going on in the world. Of course, yeah. everything going on and where we live in particular, like I said, I tweeted out there, um, the tornado swept through about a half a mile away from the house. Like we, we literally heard it sweeping by my wife and I, and my two dogs were hunkered down in a closet with our two eighty pound dogs and we could not move. And it was, to be honest, it was, a, it was a little bit scary. And considering that we lived in East Nashville, when the tornado swept through there in 2020, I'm starting to think that I'm just bad juju. So if I move to your neighborhood, you better, uh, move away from me. But uh, all kidding aside, yeah, we're we're good. Luckily, our neighborhood, everything else around here is is pretty good. Um, no real damage or anything like that. And I, I'll give NES a shout out. They worked round the clock. I, I think they had two or three cr crews swapping in and out, and they continuously had people working to restore power. They did it really quickly. 
Um, and, and they, they handled it about as well as you could handle a crisis like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just a good, good job to everyone that's out there helping out and donating money and helping all the relief and stuff like that. Uh, it is a little bit of a, it's not as bad as it was on, on Monday, but it's still a little bit chaotic out here. There's still stuff all over the place, but it, all things considered, like I'm very, my, me, myself and my family, like we're all very fortunate to not have suffered any terrible losses or anything like that. Uh, shout out to Nashville severe weather for the job they did. My wife and kids, we yes. were in the, we were in the closet as well, watching the, the live YouTube. And we were like right in the line, which has been the same line in 98 and 2007. Let me, let me just say, if you, if you live in Nashville or within a 30 mile radius of Nashville and you have a Twitter account and you are not subscribed and you're not following yeah, yeah. severe weather, what are you doing? Those people literally save lives. I, after this weekend, I'm going to find their Patreon and, and donate and you should as well, because they, they do all this stuff for free. It's a hobby for them. And they literally are out there saving people's lives and they are, they go above and beyond anyone else I've ever seen. So if you're not following them, make sure you go follow them. Yeah. I mean, I'm like watching their live stream in the closet and because we're in the line of it, uh, the one that's traditionally been hit like every 10 years. And obviously we were, we're like three streets away from where it came by in 2020. I know you know all about that. Uh, we were pretty nervous about it. And then as it as it moved, we could see it going north. And I was just like, oh, God. And I know you're up there. I know Zach Lyons, who works on a bunch of other shows for 440s up there. I've got a bunch of other friends in the Hendersonville area as well. And so I'm just like watching all this happen going, oh, my God. Uh, but glad to hear that you guys are OK. Uh, follow up 80 pounds two two 80 pound dogs. Yeah, those they're, are, they're those are large. boys. Yeah, one's a Great Pyrenees uh, hound oh, mix, and the sense. other, the other's a Black Lab. So they are—they're both very large, and they took up more of the closet than me and my wife did. So that was—that <laughs> was an adventure trying to. They both have really bad anxiety, and they were freaking out. My wife was freaking out. I was trying to stay calm, and it was—it yeah. was just not a fun time. Well, I will say, and we talked. Uh, shout out to our, one of our other shows, Pod Bless Nashville. We talked to the mayor of Clarksville about how you can get involved. There's plenty of websites and everything. Go to those websites for Madison and Hendersonville as well. Uh, but don't go up there right now. Check check on volunteering, but volunteer next week is what he said. We're going to need a lot of people on like the second and third cleanup, probably more Madison and and in um, in Clarksville. But Hendersonville was hit pretty bad too. So glad you guys are okay. We're going to talk some Preds today. Take your guys' mind off of it. Have a little fun, hopefully, because this is a winning. Hockey team. This is a team that right now, according to the athletic, I believe has a 51% chance of making the playoffs 29 games into the season. They are 11 and three in their last 14. As I mentioned, no due in no small part to the play of UC Saros and how good he has been in net five and zero oh in his last five games with a goals against average of 1.6 and a safe percentage over 95. His numbers are starting to look a little bit more normal, more UC Saros ish. So we'll talk about Saros. But Philip Forsberg is kind of the story here. So before we get to him, I, I do want to I want to get your thoughts on sort of the four games as a whole, because it was it's one of those stretches of, of hockey, Michael, where it wasn't the best hockey, like a 4-0 loss to Toronto. They got boat race. They did not necessarily play particularly well against Montreal or Philadelphia, but they got four points. And I think the way that they're finding ways to win, even though they gave up the, the, the lead in the third period against Philadelphia, they hung UC Saros at the drive kind of in both of those games, and he delivered, and they're finding ways to win. I think it's a huge testament, of course, to where this team is at. So uh, I think what, what, what's your, what is your overall reaction to the four games since last time we were on with everybody last week? Yeah, I think it's important to to point out too that the that four game stretch started with a five one win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Who I know Vasilevsky wasn't in net 
but that's still very much a cup contending team. They're a very hard team to play against. They're a hard team to score against and to go out and, and beat them by four goals is no small feat in itself. So that's something I think if you're a Predators fans, you, you can be encouraged by obviously the four, nothing loss to Toronto. Uh, that game wasn't exactly what you were hoping for if you're watching it. And there, there's a lot of things that just went wrong in that game. Also not to throw Kevin Lincoln under the bus, but it wasn't Saros and that it was Kevin Lincoln. And so, I don't want to say you expect a loss when you throw your backup goaltender out there, but I don't think anyone was terribly surprised. You would have liked a little bit better effort, but then you you come back and you rebound with a 2-1 win over Montreal, 3-2 win over Philadelphia. And what, what I really like is we've seen a good mixture of, of how the Predators have won this year. They, I, I think when you and I were chatting earlier on the phone, kind of mapping this out, you pointed out that they have zero overtime losses. And that's something, and we're we're 30 games into the season almost. That's something that I, I think is kind of rare because usually the Predators, when they go to overtime, you almost just feel like they're going to find a way to lose it or it's going to go to a shootout because they don't have a way to win it in overtime. They're 3-0 and in overtime games this year, or 3-0 and in, in games that have been decided in overtime this year. And I think that's something that's really important too. We've seen them be on the wrong side of some lopsided box scores. We're starting to see them on the on the correct side of lopsided box scores now. We're seeing them win close games. They have two one goal wins in their last their last two games. So I think we're seeing how well rounded and diverse that this team can be. They can win shootout games. They can win high scoring games. They can win close one goal games. And I think we're kind of seeing just how well rounded this team really is now that we're we're almost we're a little over a third of the way through the season. We're really seeing what. And I, I know we keep talking about the system of Andrew Burnett, but we're really seeing what all these players are capable of when they finally have a coach that understands how to use them properly and, and maximize all their skill sets. Yeah, I think I, I, I find myself stepping back to like a 10,000 foot view. And if I would have told you that Cody Glass would have a point, UC Soros would, <laughs> and when I say a point, I mean one, one point, that UC Soros would have, would be would play like, you know, pretty, pretty below average, pretty below Soros level hockey for the vast majority of the first 30 games. Again, he has been electric and near perfect Again, like second star against Tampa Bay, third star against Montreal, second star against Philly, 37 saves, 36 saves, 32 saves. Uh, and, and again, I, the whole team just sucked against Tampa so, or against Toronto. So you can just kind of throw that one out. That happens from time to time. But I think if you'd have told me that, all this with a first time rookie kind of head coach and that like Luke Shen would have missed a big chunk of time, you know, that Tomasino wasn't clicking like the list of all the things that you could point to and, and then say, yeah, and they're going to be three games over 500 and have a above 50% chance of making the playoffs. They're in the wild card spot with a winning record. I, I think, I think every single Predators fan under the sun would have been like, absolutely. Hell yes. Sign me up. Give me that because there, there's, while there is, there could be some regression for some players. We talked about it last week. There's a lot of guys having career years. Cole Smith has already like doubled his point total from last year. <laughs> Michael McCarron doubled his point total from last year. Colton Sissons has nine goals already, as many as Ryan Johansson and more than Matt Duchesne currently. Um, so, like, I, I just there's things that don't make sense, and I think Predators fans have have a right to be excited. We're gonna get into when. When are you allowed to like buy in officially? Because I'm not there yet. But I do think if I would have laid out all that stuff and 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 you said, yeah, they're a little below 500, I think people would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. But they're not. They're above 500 in the playoffs right now. Yeah. And for all those things you just mentioned, that's largely the reason why. And I think something that hasn't really been talked about too much 
obviously some some people have pointed out, but Roman Yossi really has kind of found a rhythm. And I know the first 10, 11 games of the year, he only had one goal and six points and everyone was worried about him because usually by that point, he's up in the 15, 20 point range. Um, his last 19 games, five goals and 17 points. He's He's really found his scoring touch. And I think that's something that's important too. When you think of Nashville Predator teams, you think of really good, strong, elite goaltending, Pecorine, UC Saros. You also think of the defense. And a hallmark of Predators hockey has been getting point production from the blue line. And outside of Roman Yossi, they haven't really got that. Tyson Berry, I think, is the second leading scorer among defensemen. And I think he's got only got like 10 points. If Roman Yossi is not scoring points, there you can probably bet they're not getting any point production from from any of the yeah. other defenders. So he has to carry that, and, and that's something I really noticed too. Is he's kind of come into his own. He's really found his scoring touch. You add that on top of what Forsberg and O'Reilly are doing, and Nyquist and all the other contributors, and Saros finally coming back and, and playing like we're used to. This this looks like a playoff team. I'm not saying they are. We'll talk about this in a little bit of when when to buy in and stuff. But the way they're playing now, if the if this is sustainable for the rest of the year, this is absolutely a playoff team. Well, and I like, I think if you'd have told me Yossi's going to be third on the team in points, and they'd be like like again, he's normally number one on the team in points, um, just in general. So uh, th- there's a lot of questions about regression, but I don't think we need to talk about that. We can talk we can talk about some of the how fun this team has been. And uh, again, these games are certainly dramatic. Uh, the last two, again, not what you want to see from your team. They're playing on their back foot in the third back back skate, I guess maybe is a better analogy. Uh, that's a, I think I just use a soccer term uh, to talk about all the, all the players would know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and they all play know, soccer, right? The third periods were not what you wanted. Those are terrible third periods uh, for both those, the last two games and finding ways to get four points out of that deal is, is pretty impressive. So I think by and large, 10,000 foot view as we start every show, as long as we start every show and this team has a winning record or is in a play as within striking distance of a playoff spot, this season has been a success. You cannot define it any other way through 29 games as a other than a massive success so far. Doesn't mean it's perfect. It's just a success by definition. Uh, if you're going pass fail, it's a pass so far. And not only do they have a winning record, they are four points out of first place in the central division. They are there <laughs> in a playoff spot and they are within striking distance of, of the lead in the central division, which is something I did not think was going to be possible with how good Dallas and, and Colorado have been and Winnipeg playing above expectations. And I think something else to, to keep in mind too, this may be a little bit surprising. They're third in the division in goal scoring. Like, we talked about the first 15 games of the season, just how bad this team was at scoring goals, and they were losing because they could only put one or two goals in, on on the scoreboard each game. Now they're third in the tied for third in the division in scoring. So a lot of things have started to turn around. Whether it's sustainable and it's going to keep rolling is another thing. But at least at least they're showing, and I think fans kind of feel this too. At least they're showing this isn't this isn't like the team last year or two years ago where when they face adversity they would just fold. Now now you're starting to see a little bit of a, of a fight inside of some of these players. How many teams are in the NHL, Michael? It's a rhetorical question. How many teams? Oh, well, you got to know the answer to that. 32, 32 teams. Am I spo- you said it's rhetorical, so I was like, am I supposed to answer? I thought you were going to keep going. Six teams have more wins than the Nashville Predators. Six. So six, six out of 32. Is that, is that good? It is. It is. Some of them, some of that is because they're 4-0 in overtime. And and uh, I guess, didn't wasn't Forsberg's goal against the Penguins exactly 18 seconds in as well? I, I, I believe like it was. I believe it was fourteen seconds. Fourteen seconds. Okay, so within within the first twenty seconds, Forsberg has scored now back to back overtime goals. Three of those 
as you mentioned, were not in the shootout form. They were in actual overtime. And all three of those came at home, worth mentioning and worth noting in that. And Forsberg now, I believe, is your all-time franchise leader in overtime game-winning goals with 10. Yeah. He passes David Leguan. Uh, and so that's a perfect segue into Forsberg. But I want to want to step back before we fully bake this podcast. And I want to say, go to Jaspers, everybody. Uh, because if you need a place to watch the game or free parking or a place to have a business meeting or hang out, always great to go to Jaspers. But it is what time of year, Michael Gallagher? Almost Christmas. Almost Christmas. Or whatever else you may celebrate. Happy Hanukkah, the Festivus for the rest of us. Happy Kwanzaa. Mid-December. We're in the middle of the holiday season. Whatever it is. it's it, You're going to have things like work parties. You're going to have things like in-laws. You're going to have... All you know, your friends' kids are going to need little knickknack gifts and stuff. The grab and go market at Jasper's. You can go swing by after work, go grab a cocktail, grab a beer, grab a nice burger, watch the Preds, get a discount, never pay for parking, walk through the market. All local companies that are in there, like Goo Goo Clusters and Thistle Farms, and like all these other local Nashville companies that have a lot of cool stuff in there. Lots of Dolly memorabilia. So if you want to go in there and pick out a couple of small items, there's some like. Bloody Mary mixes and some biscuit mixes, like really thoughtful Nashville local companies, all of which is all in one spot at Jasper's over at West End. So um, just I will say, too, if you if you have friends like me that you want to go to Jasper's more than they have been, if you get them a gift card to Jasper's and they know they have a free meal waiting for them, that will likely entice them to go. I'm, I'm not saying go get me gift cards or anything. I'm just saying if you have friends like me that you want to go to Jasper's, but they don't for whatever reason. You get them a gift card, they're probably going to be more inclined to go. So just keep that in mind when you're doing some some Christmas shopping. Well, Michael knows exactly what he's getting from 440 Sports for Christmas. <laughs> you need to go eat at Jasper's more, Michael. Go, you know, go down know. there. Uh, you can take the 80 pound dogs too. I, you could, they, they'll sit on the patio. You can do it. I mean, there nobody else will be allowed to sit on the patio, but you could do it. They're they're allowed out there. They're two 80 pound um, dogs. So if we if we were to feed them, Jasper's would would clean up on us because we it would take a lot to to make sure that they were full. They eat, they eat a lot. They're basically like little mini horses. Would a dog eat like a collie popper? You think? Like, My uh, dogs would eat anything. <laughs> literally i i've watched them eat stuff that's not even food because it fell on the floor and they thought it was food and they were trying to get it before we picked it up so oh that's funny that's funny um yeah my dog is strangely he used to be like 70 pounds he's now down to like 55 because my kids are old enough to not drop any food on the floor i think he lost weight just because they stopped dropping things on the floor i actually think that's what happened um okay philip forsberg let's discuss he is on pace currently after another game-winning goal he is on pace currently for 42 goals 51 assists, 93 points. Th those would be his numbers, all of which would be, I think the 40, I think all of that would be a career high. I, I don't think, did he score 40? He was 42, right? In, yeah, he scored 42. So a tie career high in goals, but the other two would be new career highs. Yes, absolutely. And, and I don't think a forward has ever actually had over 90 points. So that would be a first time for the Nashville Predators. Um, yeah. The the ultimate question here, and I'll let you start this conversation, is should that take place? If he can maintain this pace, and the brunette system has, in, true, in fact, unlocked him, that Ryan O'Reilly has helped unlock him, does that make him an elite number one forward? Does that make him a superstar that the Preds have never had? I'm inclined to say yes, just because at this point, that's two 40 goal seasons. That's two 80 plus point seasons. And he, I feel like he's someone who's always been right on the edge of, is he a leader? Is he not? He's, he's someone that, I mean, we even debated about it over the summer when the NHL network put out the rankings of the top forwards 
and he wasn't listed on there. We were like, how is he nowhere in the in the top 25 or whatever, top 20, whatever it was. Um, and I think that's something that it's, and I think you get a different answer depending on who you ask. There's There are people that think he's already an elite forward. I think he's he's on the borderline of very good to becoming elite. If he if he has two forty goal seasons, two eighty point plus seasons, I think you got I think you got to put him in there and consider that. Um, I know Matthew Shane had a really good year, and that was kind of an outlier for him. He'd been kind of on the same the borderline of really good thirty goals, sixty ish points, whatever. Um, and especially if Ryan O'Reilly is going to be here, you know, out outside of just this year for the next two or three years and play out his contract, I think if if Forsberg's playing with O'Reilly for the next two or three years multiple 40 goal seasons are not out of the question. So I, I would be inclined to say that he is just because you know how hard it is to score 40 goals once to, to do it twice within yeah. within three seasons. I, I think that's something that is to be celebrated. And I, I would say that if he does that, I would put him in elite just 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 for the fact of having one 40 goal 90 point season is incredibly difficult. But but to do that two two out of three years, I, I say, yeah. So I would say I'll say yes and no. Because I think it's I think it's more complicated than than like the the elite top tier guys. Just like, are you one of those? So here's some numbers to think about. Last year, if he had scored 93 points, he would be 16th in the NHL, but he'd be 16th in the NHL tied with Hall of Famer Sidney Crosby, who would be considered an elite number one guy. Now, that was age 35 last year for Sidney Crosby. But Artemi Panarin, who right now is like a top 10 scorer in the league and considered an elite number one, 92 points last year. Connor McDavid, of course, 153 points. Leon Dreisaitl, 128 points. I'm not suggesting that Philip Forsberg is ever going to be in that category. I think that's silly. But Nikita Kucherov, who's leading the NHL this year, I believe, with 47 points, that's a lot more than Forsberg has right now. Finished third last year, 113, tied with David Pasternak, Nathan McKinnon, 111, Jason Robertson, Matthew Kachuk, Miko Rantanen, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. These are the guys that went over 100 points. Eric Carlson, uh, Elias Pettersson, all those guys over 100 points last year. So I say all of that to say that I think there's two groups. I think Philip Forsberg can be an elite number one, unlike the Nashville Predators have ever had, but also still not be at that top, top tier. I don't. Is there another tier above the word elite? Does it matter what word we use? He is never going to be, I don't believe, in the category of the top five or six or seven forwards in the NHL at any given moment. And right now, that's Connor McDavid. That's David Pasternak. That's Nikita Kucherov. You know, you can put some other guys up there, right? Depending on what you think. But is he still better than anything the Predators have ever ever had? Is he a top 10, top 15 forward? Right now, he's 16th in points with guys like Jack Eichel, Jack Hughes, Austin Matthews, Braden Point, William ne- not Nylander. Like, these guys are all in the, in the ballpark of points. So, you know, I don't know if Quinn Hughes has staying power. I think he's pretty good. But Kucherov, McKinnon, Panarin, Pasternak, McDavid, those are all top seven scorers right now in the NHL. I don't think Philip Forsberg is on that, that tier of talent. But is he the top of the next tier? I, I think I would say yes. And I... I guess you can argue whether or not that makes him elite or not, I guess. Yeah, I think it's I, I would look at it on a like on a grading system like Philip Forsberg. If he were to accomplish the 40 goals, 93 points, whatever he would, he would get an A. But guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl, they get an A plus. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of consider if this helps people break it down or compartmentalize it better. I think of it with the NFL. There's Patrick Mahomes and then there's everybody else. Lamar Jackson's a really good 
I would argue, elite quarterback, but he's not on Patrick Mahomes' level. Yeah. I would say the same thing about Josh Allen. Two attack of LO is getting up there. Like you can go down the list. There, there's really good top ten, top five quarterbacks, but none of them are on Patrick Mahomes' level. And I feel like that's the Connor McDavid's and the Leon Dreisaitl's. You can throw McKinnon in there if you want. Like I consider Miko Rantanen a really good elite forward. David Pasternak the same thing, but none of them are on Connor McDavid's level. And I feel like it's okay in this instance to have a, a tier one and a tier two, like a a one A elite and a one B elite. And Philip Forsberg yeah. would be in the one B elite. If if Philip Forsberg goes, let's say between eighty five and ninety five points for like a couple of years in a row, I mean, like that is so far and away the greatest forward performance in the history of the franchise. That's number one piece of. Context. If Forsberg had a forty goal, eighty point season on another team, fans would be saying, "Why can't we get a player like that?" I, I mean, I guess that's true. Uh, so here's my question, because I think we know that Connor McDavid is on a planet on his own in terms of like pure talent. And I do think Forsberg has some of those, you know, Austin Matthews, you know, he doesn't have the speed of McKinnon, but he's got the, and he maybe he doesn't have the shot of, of uh, Matthews, but like, he's kind of, you know, he's got some of the same kind of skills when maximized. And I do, I don't think you can overlook the value of Ryan O'Reilly in all of this. He he is a professional top tier center. And, and my question on blue sky, by the way, was from Kevin and it was all about the story written about Ryan Johansson in The Athletic about why his ice time is being reduced. He's got two assists on the entire season. He was playing on the fourth line, like slowly but surely the Ryan Johansson start to the season. Like one of the, my favorite line, not my favorite. This is a, that's a bad thing to say. One of the funnier lines in the story was like, he's clearly one of the slowest forwards on the team. <laughs> and, you know, he's not a young guy. And all the reasons that Barry Trotz got rid of him. And but and the other guys on that team, that's an incredibly fast team. Even the defensemen yeah. on that team are incredibly fast. So it makes it just my my point is, and and again, I don't think there's a huge discussion to our listener Kevin on Blue Sky who asked the question. I don't think there's a huge discussion about Ryan Johansson specifically. But I think this team and this franchise has been so I don't want to say like not not captivated, but has been satisfied with a player of Ryan Johansson's caliber, you know, 65 points. And they've never had anybody close to Connor McDavid caliber that I think the context around this conversation is to be Forsberg doesn't have to be Connor McDavid. He doesn't have to be Nikita, Nikita Kucherov to be an elite player. It, it, there's only a, like you like you said, there's only one Mahomes. I don't know how many people you put on the top tier with Connor McDavid, maybe two, maybe three guys. But can he be one of the next group? I think that's again, that's kind of where I, my answer is like yes and no, but it's largely semantic based on how you define elite. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many guys you would put up there with McDavid as well. I would probably put Dreisaitl. I would probably put Austin Matthews. McKinnon? Uh, I think McKinnon's just a step below him. Okay. And I know that might sound like blasphemy saying Philip Forsberg is equal to McKinnon, but I, I think there's really only three or four guys. Maybe, maybe you put Kucherov in there, and he looks like he's on pace for for another season like that, but... I really feel like that that's a very, very, very small, elite, rare group to be in. Okay, how, how about this? How about this? And this is what I think ultimately Connor McDavid is like. He's like the kid in the class that ruins the grading curve. You know? Yeah. Like, really, there's McDavid at one and no one else on the tier. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then there's like a second tier that's that really is a normal elite tier, which is like two through, let's say, eight to ten, the top ten forwards in the league. I'm not sure I put Philip Forsberg in that group yet. I think he needs to do it longer than one season. He needs to do it longer than this season. But I think if he does it for three or four years, he could earn his way into that group. But I would not put him 
if you take McDavid out and don't destroy the grading curve, there's a collection of guys that are on the top tier minus McDavid, and I don't think he's in that group yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. If he were to score 40 goals again this year, that would give him two 40 goal seasons in the last three years, and that would give him three that would give him four seasons of 30 or more goals. That I feel like is is pretty impressive. You could debate whether that's that's elite status or not. But the point total, we we know Forsberg is a goal scorer, but the point total, that's that's the one thing. Aside from the 21 season when he had 84 points, his career high other than that was was 64 points, and he's done it twice. I feel like to be consistently to be an elite player, you consistently have to be in the 75 to 80 point or more. Oh, no. I think you need to be in a, over 100. I think you got to go over 100 points. I mean, I, David, David Pasternak scored 61 goals last year. Had 113 points. He scored 48 four years ago and led the league. Like, you got to be over 100 points, I think, to be in that category. I, I, I don't think so. I think, it, I think it's the All 75 right. to 80 point for me, for, for me, in my opinion, at least, because... I think while 100-point seasons are rare, I don't think it's like the be-all, end-all determining an elite forward. I mean, we saw Eric Carlson last year. Did he have over 100 points or he was close to yeah, it? Yeah, he was or over, like over 100, yeah. Yeah. Is anyone out there arguing that Eric Carlson's one of the 20 best players in the NHL? Hell no. Like, I, I, I just, I don't think, I think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, 5,000 passing yards for a quarterback. Like, they're this great, amazing thing. Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards once. Come on. Like, that, <laughs> I, I think I feel like those are outlier stuff. So, so 10... I, I, I understand your point. I understand your point and I get it. But I, for me, I wouldn't consider the 100 point range to be a cutoff. Okay. So 10 players got 100 last year. Eight players got 100 points the year before that. 75 points two years ago, just because I happen to have it pulled up. That'd be 45th in the NHL. You cannot be 45th in the NHL in points. I'm saying consistently, not, not get there one time. Okay. I think you're underestimating the top tier and how much it takes to get to that top tier. I, I think you're under uh, undervaluing what it takes to get. I think there are, and, and again, don't, don't get me wrong. The rules have changed. The game is more offensive. Like I get all the things that have happened to the game. Um, three years ago, there was only, well, I guess, hang on. I guess that was Hunter McDavid had over a hundred points in a 56 game season. Yeah. That's why Connor, <laughs> it's a Connor McDavid and everyone else. Oh my God. I forgot. If that if that's your criteria, that. so Ryan Nugent Hopkins had 104 points last year. Is he elite? I the answer is no. I think he's pretty damn good. Um, There's a difference between pretty damn good and elite, which is which is what I began saying when we started uh, this. Is I think that's where Forsberg is right now. He's on the pretty damn good level. He's not quite elite. If he were to get his second 40 goal season in in three years, and he were to have a 90 point season two years after an 80 point season, I think that at least puts him in the conversation. Maybe, maybe I'll backtrack a little bit and maybe I won't put him in there yet, but I say it at least puts him in the conversation. I, okay. I don't disagree that he's in the conversation. I don't disagree with that, but I do think that like, like, I don't know what to, what to call it, like predator glasses or something. And it's not, I don't mean like from a Homer standpoint, I mean like predator, like uh, environment. Like 75 points is such a big deal to a Nashville Predators player. That's that like 100 that... points to a regular NHL fan. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's not to slam anyone, but I mean, before before Forsberg and Duchesne had their great year two years ago, like I think it was it was Paul Gurria was the only one to even get into a, to 80s, the 80 point yeah. range. Yeah. So, but, I mean, it's just, it's very rare to see a Predators skater somewhere in the 70, 80 point range. So, I, uh, I get your point. I'm cool with you saying, look, Eric Carlson, 101 points. First time a defenseman has done that, I think, since Bryant Leach in like 1990. Yossi almost did it, of course, a couple of years ago. 
not one of the top 20 players. And I get it. I get what you're saying. But if you look at the t- the other 10 players who scored 100 points last year, again, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kucherov, Pasternak, McKinnon, Robertson, Kachuk, Rantanen, Nugent Hopkins, and Pedersen. That is a lot of the best players in the world. Like that, that, that is mostly the best players in the world. You don't get to 100 points on accident. I'm not saying... Ryan Nugent Hopkins didn't do it, you know, because he played with on Edmonton with those guys. I, I get what you're saying. But the other part names on that list, those guys are there routinely because they're the best players in the world. And I don't think Philip Forsberg, while could be among the best players in the world, you don't, I can't definitively put him there. He needs to have a 100 point season, first time in Predators history. And I think he needs to be up over 85 and 90 points, like, like three or four years in a row, including, and you can count the one that he put together a couple of years ago. But he needs to go ninety. He's on pace for ninety three, which again would have been sixteenth last year. He needs a couple. He needs like three or four of those seasons before I say he's elite. It doesn't mean he's not the greatest forward in Predators history because he already is the most talented in Predators history and has a chance to be the. the he's probably the greatest of all time. So it, I think that's fair. I I I guess a counter question, and this is something I guess that's also fun to debate. If on January 7th, 2020, when the Predators fired Peter Lavula, if they had hired Andrew Burnett instead of John Hines, do you think <laughs> Forsberg would be in that conversation now? You stop it. You stop it. I would <laughs> say Andrew Burnett wasn't prepared to be a head coach at that time. I, I don't oh, know. He, he definitely wasn't. But if you're getting this version of Andrew Burnett right now, the way he's coaching this team, do you think oh, if, know. Forsberg, if he was Forsberg's coach for the last three or four seasons, then do you think he would be in that elite status? Because I think coaching has a lot more to do with it than people realize. So here's what I will acknowledge. And I will give you, I'll grant you on this. If what we are seeing from Andrew Burnett and the system that they are playing, which does, again, at times, leave the goalie out to dry in the third period, but also is creating career seasons for Cole Smith, Michael McCarron, Yakov Trenin, uh, Kiefer Sherwood. Colton Sissons. Colton Colton says down, like, Ryan O'Reilly, Gus Nyquist, etc. Luke Evangelista is in the top three or four, or top four or five in in rookie scoring. If, in fact, the system is more... Because, again, we're going to talk about this in a second because I don't think you can make definitive statements about anything in 29 games. I just don't think you can. I think you need more time. But let's say, hypothetically, this 29 games is something that we're going to see for four or five years. Forget what that means in the standings. Like You know what I mean? Like Forget what that means for wins and losses, playoff wins, competing for the Cup. We know those are the goals, but like forget about what that means. Just from like an offensive, stylistic production standpoint. It, and if that is true, and Forsberg is in fact unlocked by the system, then he should be nearing 90 points plus every single season if he stays healthy. Knock on wood, I shouldn't have said that out loud, but that's a big part of his 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 why he's not elite, right? Is he misses 15 games a year. So if he's healthy and continues and the system is the, the system it's showing us that it can be, then I think it is absolutely possible for him to get to those numbers and he will blow away every record in the history of national predators hockey. And I think, I think that's a fair assessment. And I, I, I just want to point out, cause I know I brought this up on it's all your fault when Gover had me on earlier in the week about Ryan Johansson being like a true doing what a true top line center did. And I, I said, I love Ryan, jo- Ryan Johansson, but Ryan O'Reilly, or maybe I, I just Ryan O'Reilly, the way he's playing there, you can see, and O'Reilly's on pace for 34 goals and 71 points, which would both be career highs for him too. I think, I think it's, O'Reilly playing with O'Reilly is unlocking Forsberg, yep. but I think playing with someone like Forsberg is also unlock, unlocking O'Reilly too. And I think now we're seeing having a true a true number one center that does everything they're supposed to. That's really what's making a difference. Not a knock on Ryan Johansson. Ryan O'Reilly is just a top line professional center. Yeah, 
And it is why he won the Consmite Trophy <laughs> a couple of years ago uh, for St. Louis. And don't go anywhere, St. Louis Blues fans. I'm sure there's many of you listening. We've got stuff to discuss <laughs> in the Central Division and some prospect stuff as well. Um, real quickly here, uh, Colton says, I mentioned Colton Sisson's career year, 1638 ice time. That is highest career ice time in his entire career at age 30. Uh, again, two goals in in that um, in that game against Montreal to basically carry the offense. So Sisson's having a great season. We mentioned how how good UC Saros has been. Uh, some of that is also because of the penalty kill. Uh, one for 18 in this four game stretch since our last episode, Michael. The 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 opposing team is one for 18 on the power play. Um, five of their last six, they have not allowed a power play goal. And in their last 15 games, which kind of coincides with that 11 and three stretch, uh, 87% penalty kill. They have jumped from down in like the 27, 28 range in the NHL to 21st in the NHL on the penalty kill. Uh, they are still third in the NHL in power play opportunities, 16th in power play percentage. That's still about at, it's still average, but whatever. Uh, they are now 11th in goals against, uh, that is nearing the top 10, of course, and 18th in goals for. So starting to see that defense come around, UC Saros come around, and starting to see the penalty kill come around. So uh, that was going to take some time, but that has happened. Uh, by the way, quickly, Austin Watson find the max value for taking a slap shot from his own blue line with three seconds to go down by four. What are we doing with Austin Watson? What what? It's lucky that Jeremy Lozon did not get hurt severely in the game uh but man i like what are you doing dude <laughs> austin no watson's never been known to uh be one with making good decisions so yeah i don't that was kind of a that that looked kind of shady to me and i'm glad the the, the players association find him the max amount for that for do that i think he meant decision. to injure or hurt or even aim the puck at Lozon? no i think that was out of frustration it was just awful timing but again that goes back to don't even do it there's just three seconds left you're down by multiple goals just just don't even do something like that yeah, it's not it's not dirty on purpose, but it ends up being dirty, you know? Yeah. So um, that was kind of weird. I wanted to throw that out there. Um, let's see what else I got. They got Carolina on Friday. So a couple days off here and then Washington on Saturday. So about another back to back. Obviously, Lincoln is the, the guy who started against uh, Toronto in the loss. Vancouver on Tuesday. And then so they got a couple of days off, a couple days off. So a much needed little break here where they only play three games out of seven. That'll be much needed for this team. Um, I think that's about, oh, Tyson Berry. You want to talk Tyson Berry here uh, real quickly before we ask when can fans start to buy in to what they're seeing? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if how many of our listeners listen to any of the local radio stations, but Barry Trotz was on uh, radio the other night and he basically was talking about Tyson Berry. Um, he admitted that he has been calling other teams and kind of seeing, I guess, taking the temperature of what, what the trade market is for, for Barry. Um, and he, I thought it was interesting. He noted that the, he said there was only really about four or five teams that have enough cap room to take on Barry's contract because I think Barry's at four point five million uh, per season. And I think uh, it was also interesting that he said he he acknowledged that he publicly that he was willing to take on a bad contract to make the deal work, so he could send Barry to a team that he wanted to go to, get him off of the Predators' books, send him to a team. Hopefully that's in a playoff race so Barry could play some meaningful minutes and they get something back. And I think that's important to note because Tyson Barry's trade value isn't really high right now. Taking on a bad contract and maybe giving some cap relief to a team uh, is probably a good way to get yourself a higher draft pick and or a better prospect in the in the trade coming back. So I think do I think Barry gets traded? Yes. Do I think it's it's in the next week or two? No, I think it's something that's going to play out. And, and like, you know, we've seen throughout this whole thing being played out in the public eye. 
both sides kind of taking veiled shots at each other. Barry's been in the lineup and he's been out. So they're, they're, they're not afraid to sit in the awkwardness either side. So I think <laughs> he will get traded whether it happens in very quickly. I, I don't think so because I think Trotz is taking his time and trying to find the, the move that makes the best sense for the team while also accommodating Barry's wishes. Well, and let's be honest, eating some of the cap. I think the the rule is you can't eat more than 50% of a contract. So 2.25 would be the max amount they could eat and try to help another team get his contract onto the books, which of course then drives up his price. And the reason the Nashville Predators have the space in the cap to do a move like that is because of Barry Trotz. <laughs> so he's done, he set himself up to be in this position to then be able to take some of the contract. And, and I, I, I would be, I, I assume that was not an accident. And look, taking eating two point two five million of Barry's con- <clears throat> contract, if that's what they do, is nothing. The Predators have eight point two million in cap space according to Cap Friendly, so they could easily eat a good chunk of his salary. Maybe take on another contract worth a two or three million if they if they want to to get say to turn that second round pick into a first round pick or turn that B level prospect to an A level prospect. Trotz has the money to play around with, and he even said yep. before the season started, he did all this by design. He left spots open and he left a lot of money in the cap to have flexibility to do stuff like this and for a first year gm that's pretty savvy you don't really see first time gms kind of plan around stuff like this months in advance so uh, good job barry trotz on, on giving yeah. yourself options here now the, the winner through 29 games is barry trotz every decision so far has has worked for this organization at least so far um we shall see what's interesting is even if the well, i'd argue luke shen hasn't but well, fair, but that's only because of injuries. But again, yeah. we we that's the one we kind of all said when they signed the contract. Like that one doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but the free agent signings, the way he's plugged yep. in and filled holes in the roster, the cap space, everything, Barry Trotz is just nailing it his first time out. Two first round picks, Matthew Wood, Tanner Molendyke invited to the Canada Canada Juniors tryout roster and uh team and and uh you know, both guys playing very well right now at UConn and in the WHL respectively, his two first round picks this past summer. So we'll get to those guys in a second. But what I find interesting is even at, at eight, what are the, what, what's the number? 8.25 is that we said cap space. Yeah. Um, it, even if you eat 2 million of the contract, technically your cap space still goes up two and a half million because <laughs> you're, you're taking four and a half away. And even if you're eating two, that's still a net plus two and a half. You're up to like 10 and a half million dollars in cap space. Yeah. So that get, that's where you have the opportunity to take on another bad contract if you want, in which case the price continues to go up. So this is all Barry Trotz here. Pulling the string, so he can. He can I would say if he to be if he does that, and you he say he gets an extra or he gets a first round pick in return for doing that, three straight years with multiple first round picks. That's that you got to be pretty pleased with your GM if he pulls that off. Oh, huge huge applause! I don't think he has a chance to get a first. I think best case scenario, you get a second if you eat a lot of contract and take more bad money on. But I think fans probably need to look at. Hey, we'll eat a million or two of this deal. Give us a third round pick and maybe a low level prospect. I, I think they. Fans need to be prepared for a fairly low asking price, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. Oh, I agree. It should be low. But uh, but also, if you if he's trading to a team like New Jersey or Toronto that really needs help and they're going for it and they're in win now mode, you never know. I mean, look, at I don't think anyone expected David Poyle to get almost a full draft class for Tanner Joe last year. So I I wouldn't bet against it. Don't don't go look at all the former Preds, by the way, though. Ke- Kevin asked about on uh, about Ryan Johansson, and he's had some struggles lately. Matt Duchesne's been on a tear the last month and a half. Don't look at him. Ellie Tolvanen's, Ellie Tolvanen's, Ellie really Tolvanen's well. on a tear. Kevin Fiala's Connor on Ingram's a tear. Connor Ingram's freaking killing it. Connor Ingram's killing it. Uh, Kevin Fiala's on a tear. 
Um, Tanner Janot is doing Mikhail Tanner Janot. Granlin has surprisingly played really well. Yeah. Tanner Janot doing Tanner Janot things. Lots of hits, lots of penalty minutes. So uh, go don't don't go look at all the former ex-preds. Just Ryan Johansson's article in The Athletic where he's struggling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so quickly here, and this is in light of what's going on in the Central Division. Minnesota fired its coach already. They hired John Hines. They got revenge a couple of weekends ago at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, they just fired their general manager as well. Uh, Chris O'Hearn has been fired by Minnesota. St. Louis announced this week that they have fired their head coach, Craig Berube, of course. So in light of those kinds of moves and some of the chaos in the Central Division, again, I think Winnipeg and Dallas changed their coach last year. Nash two years ago, Nashville changed their coach this year. There's a lot of turnover in this division. And what that tells me, and Edmonton already made a move to fire its coach, and now they are back surging with all that talent back into the, as expected, some progression to the mean there. Ultimately, what this reminds me of is looking at Andrew Burnett and the Preds at 29 games and saying, how long do you need before you kind of know it's for real? And I don't think we're close yet, but I'd like to know your opinion. Like, when do you when do you allow yourself as a fan to buy into, all right, what I'm seeing is real with Forsberg and the team and the system and Andrew Burnett? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough call. I, I think low-hanging fruit would be to just be like, oh, the all-star break, because I feel like that's when most people are like, oh, by the all-star break, we're going to know about this team. I think it's going to be at least the new year. I would say midway through January, because, because look, if they're if they're going to fall off and regress back to the mean, we're going to know, because going, what was it, 11-3 and three over a 14-game stretch is not feasible, um, unless you're the Boston Bruins last year, but we saw how that worked out for them. Um, so I, I think by mid-January, January we're going to know because if this is sustainable, they're going to be right in it. They're going to be right there fighting for the top of the division. Um, and if it's not sustainable, I think by then we'll know. And I think that's kind of where we were last year when we were talking about how, how are we, when are we going to know if John Hines is going to be fired or not? And I said probably by the end of the year, beginning by the end of last year, beginning of the year, and you kept pushing it back because they kept winning, then they kept losing, then they kept like they kept doing just enough. To make you think like there's change coming and like this is good, this is gonna work. And I don't think we have to worry about this year. I think we're gonna know sometime in January whether they're for real or not. And that will obviously will help because when the trade deadline rolls around at the end of February, beginning of March, you you kind of know what to expect, who's gonna be traded, if there's a possibility of I, I love Gover. I I don't think they're gonna be adding a piece. I don't think they're gonna be gearing up to make a playoff run. That would be great for the team and the fan base if that happens. But I think if anything, they'd be selling off pieces to try to stock up and, and load up for the draft this this summer. Uh, I, I do. By the way, so shout out to a lot of things here. Shout out to Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. Shout out Nashville Hockey Now. Shout out to the Nashville scene in the post with It's All Your Fault, which you were on with Jeremy Gover this week. So go listen to Michael and Jeremy talk. But Gover does it like once an episode where he's like, oh, that are, could they be one piece away? Maybe. And I'm like, no, no, they're not. They're not one piece away, Jeremy. And I love Jeremy. I've known him a long time, but he's kind of always the optimist looking at like, what, well, if they're in the if they're in the hunt at the deadline and you can go get a big piece, then I think you need to go do it. I'm all for being like an aggressive guy. I think that, that you need to allow the rebuild time, which gets me to my back to my answer. Hey, every about, every fan base needs a guy like Gover to kind of true, to, that's true to just be like, hey, it sucks right now, but you know what? Here's some hope. Well, and I'm not calling him a homer that blindly just like says silly things. I just he's he's not wrong. They could be in a position to be a buyer 
at the yeah, deadline. They absolutely could be. I just don't, I, don't, I personally don't think they will be. And I don't want them to do that because I don't want them to slow down the process of the rebuild. Like, let if it they take, do that, they're going to be exactly where they were the last three years right. with David Quill running the show. And then the fan base will easily turn on Barry Trotz to go south. If you go trade all those pro- a couple of prospects for a piece to try to win now, you are back into competitive rebuild. And that's not what anybody wants. So, but ultimately, it gets me to my answer, which I think there are two ways to answer the question about when you can be a believer. Like, when can you buy in? And and like what we're seeing is what they're going to be. I, I realistically, it's like a three year thing. You, you, like because we saw even under Peter Laviolette, who's got a long track record of success in the NHL, there are major ups and downs in the NHL. You have a great start to one season and then a terrible finish, a, a slow start and then a great finish. An eight seed goes to the Cup final. A President's Trophy team loses in the second round. Right? Like you can. There's tons of ups and downs. So really. You're not going to truly know if Andrew Burnett is like championship caliber system coach for like probably two or three years, unless something crazy happens in year one. And then you're like, oh, well, now this is the new expectation. But were you were you talking about what this team is going to be or were you talking about whether we can believe like this is sustainable for the rest of the season? I think. No, and that's no, I'm kind of prefacing all this to get to. Well, but what about this year? When when can we buy into what we're seeing this year? Because I do think for a guy like that, who's only coached one year before with a team with a bunch of prospects and young players and some aging vets, this is, there is a learning process that has to take place. And a lot of times that's a two or three year process. I mean, look at all the best rebuilds in the NHL. They take years, not, not one year. It takes three years, sometimes seven years. I think this one can go faster because of how David Poyle set it up for Barry Trotz. And if Burnett's the right guy, it won't take us long to learn two or three years. They should be back competing at for, for a division championship like that. That's what a quick rebuild would do. But I think it takes that amount of time to know if it's like long-term sustainably competing for a championship caliber good. I think this year, to to really the question, when can I buy into this year? I think you're right. I think it's like end of January. I think I want to see like 50, 60 games. And maybe I'm a pessimist. Maybe I'm conservative on that estimate. But I want to see like teams die in the last 25 games all the time. Like good teams that are kind of overachieving for the first 55 games. They get to those last 20, that last third, that last quarter of the season. And sometimes it's just too much for a young team. And you see him kind of really tail off. And that's certainly a possibility this year. But I don't think it's like, don't let yourself buy into like, hey, we're going to the playoffs or this or that or the other thing. 90 points from Philip Forsberg and 40 goal scorers. And like, I, I just just enjoy it right now. But I, I think they need to get to at least 55 or 60 games before I'm going to say, like this team has staying power for this year. I think big picture, it's more like a two or three year process. Like if he's going to be good as a coach, championship caliber, good, you got to do it for more than one season. You got to do it for like three. This is like going back to the Forsberg conversation. If you're going to be elite, you got to prove it year over year. And you know, that doesn't do anybody that that, <laughs> that doesn't help anybody like this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like you have to at least get to the 50 to 60% of the season being done before you can kind of make a, an yeah. informed assessment on it. Because like you said, we're 29 games in. Yeah. Things look good right now. And they've looked really good the last 13, 14 games, but um, they could go 0 and 10 over the next 10 games. Like, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, but I think once you get to around the 60% of the season being played, then you have a pretty good idea because if you're good around 60% of the season being played, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be good by the time the end of the season rolls around. So yeah. And and good for this team is above 500 competing for a playoff spot. And that's where I'm going to buy in. I would say that's where fans should buy in. And if that doesn't mean you're making the playoffs, but it means you're competing for a playoff spot. And it means most of your evenings at Bridgestone Arena are fun and competitive. 
And that ultimately is what being a fan is all about. Entertainment value. Uh, okay. So quickly uh, go to Jasper's, of course, um, and make sure you check out Gover over there and all of his happiness and joyful optimism. Go check him out. Um, good to hear the two of you guys, by the way, back together. But if if you want some really good prospect coverage of, of these world juniors that are taking place uh, and all the Preds prospects that are involved, Matthew Wood playing very well at UConn right now, their first number one overall pick. Um, or their first their first pick in the first round this past summer. Tanner Molendyke, my guy, uh, who is also a first-round pick, who is just torching the WHL right now, uh, and, and other players. Uh, Joachim Kemmel involved in this selection process as well. Nashville Hockey Now is a place to go get it. What do fans need to know about the prospects and, and, and the juniors? Yeah, so Clay did a really good job. He had a very good, uh, well-informed story yesterday about Joachim Kemmel, he did not end up making the cut for the the Finnish World Junior team. And when the news was kind of released, it was kind of surprising because it's like, oh, he's one of the top junior league age players in the world. Why is he not playing? Uh, come to find out the Predators, it was actually the Predators decision to hold him out of that. He's already he's already competed in the World Junior several times. Um, and from what what we were told and what we confirmed with some other sources as well, that it's just one of those things where. The Predators decided it's better for him to continue playing uninterrupted professional hockey in the AHL than taking a two, three week long break, however long it is going over to, to Sweden, I believe, is where where the World Juniors is being held, playing against 17, 18, 19 year old kids. And honestly, I agree with that. It's better for him to continue yeah. playing in the AHL professional hockey. You never know if there's going to be an injury and they need to call him up during that time. So go read that. Go check that out. Just a little bit of background. And, and it's not a situation that is unique before the, the Predators also did it with Ellie Tolvin a couple years ago where they actually they agreed to loan him to uh to the world junior team the national team and stuff so go read that check that out and then we're going to probably have hopefully sometime um Thursday morning we're gonna have something on the Can the Canada stuff the Matthew Wood and Tanner Mullendyke if you want up-to-date stuff go check out Stephen Ellis of the Daily Faceoff one of the best prospect guys out there I think um he's been doing a lot of tweeting from uh, the games in Canada, and he had a note on Tanner Janot, or not Tanner Janot, my gosh, on Tanner <laughs> Mullendyke. Um, for those of you who don't know, he didn't skate in Tuesday's game, exhibition game. Uh, he has a knee injury, and that's kind of hampered him a little bit. Uh, but he did he did skate on Wednesday. Um, so if you're listening to this on Thursday, he skated yesterday. Um, and Stephen wrote a little quick blurb about it. Uh, he said that he had a few smart breakout plays and was especially good at shutting things down in the neutral zone. Um, said he looked a little bit rusty, but also dealing with a knee injury that's to be expected. Um, I kind of feel like Molendyke has kind of been one of those guys that has like, he's on the outside looking in just because the world junior team for Canada is just so stacked, but there are some guys that are dealing with other injuries and stuff. So he might have a shot at making it. Matthew Wood uh, scored a goal in, in Wednesday or Tuesday's game. He's looked really well. He's looked really good playing over there, playing really well. Um, the Canadian coach, Alan Latang said, uh, it was a quote about Matthew Wood. He scores goals. You give him a chance at the hash marks, and that he just overpowers the goalie. So I think if you're if you're a Preds fan, that's good news. That one Molendike is skating and had a good get, had a good showing of himself on Wednesday. And two, Matthew Wood is impressing the hell out of everybody over there. There's a good chance that he makes the World Junior Team. Um, also, if you're interested, Casper Kulanami and Je Jesse Kiskinen uh, both made the Finnish Junior Team as well. So there's just a lot of stuff. We will have a World Junior. Uh, preview primer whatever you want to call it just so you know who what prospects are playing what what country they're playing for what to expect all that uh, we'll have that up on Nashville hockey now I mean I don't know about you but I think Canada is normally pretty good at hockey so having two yes. first round picks from the, this past year either on the roster or close to the roster is a big sign and I think the Predators saying no to Joachim Kemmel is 
a sign that they think he's close uh, yeah. and that they and that they that again to suggest that two weeks is that important to the development means that they're that, that he's got to be close so i don't think they're going to also see too if, he could he could be playing in some of those tournament games and he could uh, it's not overly physical but he could there's always a chance of an injury so yeah no i absolutely i know i injury is the first thing i think of and then and then the development but the two packets together means they think a very highly of him and that b that he may not be far from a debut. It doesn't mean he's going to stick in the NHL. I don't think he's ready yet, but it means he's not far yeah. away. So. And, and he's had a solid season too. So you also run the risk of, of ruining kind of the development, the progress he's making from the, the group that he's kind of settling into as well. Yeah. So totally get it. I think it's a good move by the Predators. Go check out Nashville Hockey Now, of course. Sign up for a subscription there. You can get some really good, great, great, great coverage of your Nashville Predators over there on the website uh, with you and Clay and Nick all doing a great job. So go check it out. Of course, you can get to... Uh, Michael on Twitter.com at MG Sports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall and apparently at Blue Sky as well at Braden Gall over there. Um, I do have a couple of invites. I figured out that I do have a couple of invites, so I'm still learning how to use the app. But man, it feels like uh, it feels like old Twitter, and I like old Twitter. So come on over and hang out uh, over there if you want to. Uh, otherwise, go to Jasper's, of course. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, share this show, tell somebody about this product. We really, really appreciate you guys, and a lot of you guys have been listening for many, many years now, and. Uh, we love you all for it. So thanks for hanging out. For Michael, I am Braden. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you guys next week.